Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung, and welcome to Prophecy Today. You know what I'm going to say next. I need 90 minutes, because my broadcast partners are perched all around the world looking at current events, and then they'll give me all the details behind what's going on. And at the end of the broadcast, I'll take a look at the book. We'll compare the prophetic scenario in God's Word with the reports on current events happening. I know there's going to be a correlation between the two. We're here in our temporary studios in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. I'm going to be at the Grace Baptist Church on Sunday and Monday. By the way, it's Father's Day, and so let me say Happy Father's Day in advance for all of you that celebrate Father's Day on Sunday. And the reason I say that, I'm looking at the schedule here for the Grace Baptist Church. We're going to have three services tomorrow. What we're going to do, have a combined Sunday school at 9.30, 10.30, the regular service, and then guess what? We go to a potluck fellowship. You know how to spell fellowship, do you not? F-O-O-D. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to the potluck dinner we're going to have. And then at 1 o'clock, we'll have the last service of the day, and the rest of the day will be for loving your fathers. That's a great idea at the Grace Baptist Church. Pastor Rick Sherman's inviting everybody to come for this special schedule on Sunday. And then on Monday evening, we'll meet at the 7 o'clock hour to teach the Word of God an hour earlier for Prophecy Q&A. Come join us, Grace Baptist Church in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Well, let's go to that first broadcast partner. He's in southern France, and we're going to go to Ken Timmerman to find out about geopolitical activities around this world. Ken, in the Persian Gulf, a lot of activity, a lot of accusations. Can you kind of pick it all apart and tell us what the real truth is? Well, what's happening, Jimmy, is that the Iranians are escalating. They are, once again, on Thursday, they hit two more tankers. Ironically, purposefully, by accident, who knows at this point, they hit a Japanese tanker at the very moment that the Japanese Prime Minister Shinto Abe was in Tehran carrying a message from U.S. President Donald Trump saying, uh, why don't we talk? Why don't we uh, see if we can resolve these differences over your nuclear program peacefully instead of escalating? Of course, Khamenei, the Supreme Leader, said, forget about it. We are not going to talk with the U.S. president. And uh, just to reinforce that message, I think he and his Revolutionary Guard supporters launched a mine attack, a mining attack of this Japanese oil tanker. And, and the other extraordinary thing that happened, Jimmy, on the same day after that attack, you had the U.S. Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, giving a, an impromptu statement to the press. I can't call it a news conference because he took no questions, but he gave a fairly lengthy statement to the press where he detailed a chronology starting in April of Iranian escalatory moves, Iranian attacks against international shipping, against oil tankers, against oil pipelines, uh, against the U.S. Embassy in Baghdad, against a Saudi airport uh, this week, just this week, where they launched a missile against the civilian passenger terminal of a Saudi airport. I mean, extraordinary. I think you're going to see the United States now taking their information, because they certainly have intelligence information to back up their uh, firm unequivocal accusation that Iran is behind all of these actions, 
I believe they're going to take that to the United Nations and try to muster an international posse to go after Iran, to put international sanctions on Iran, and perhaps more, uh, to rein them in from these violent actions to interfere with international shipping and maritime transport of oil. You know, it's pretty interesting that Mike Pompeo made a statement talking about the intelligence gathering organization in the United States with that information that he was able to give everybody. And I understand a video has been produced and aired on the Internet across the world indicating they saw more evidence of that being the case. At the same time, Iran denying that they did anything. But in reality, when you look at all that you just gave us a moment ago and realize the vulnerability of all of these ports there in the Persian Gulf, you can understand why Iran would endeavor to try to do that and uh, twick uh, the nose of the giant United States, right? Well, that's right, and, and our allies, including Japan. But, uh, you know, you talk about sitting ducks. These oil tankers obviously are not defended. They're civilian transport. They're not vessels of war. They're, they're bringing oil to fuel the economies of the world. And the Iranians are obviously a big exporter of oil. The reason that they're mixed with the United States is because we have put unilateral sanctions on their oil exports with the goal of driving them down to zero. We've already cut them in half. And so they're saying if we can't export our oil, nobody will be able to export oil through the Strait of Hormuz. And that is their tactic right now. Their their long-term goal is to see the price of oil increase so the oil that they're selling on the black market will fetch them more money. But also, as you just mentioned, to, to tweak, tweak the tail of the tiger. Uh, we are right there in the Persian Gulf. They know it. They see it. They're basically saying, look what we did. What are you going to do about it? Well, I think they're going to see pretty soon what we're going to do about it. Yeah, and ironically, I saw a statement by Iran that uh, they are in charge of security for the Persian Gulf. Almost makes you want to laugh out loud. What about the International Atomic Energy Agency chief saying he's worried about the rising tensions over Iran, but the nuclear issue itself, them saying, and we talked about it last week, that they can have a nuclear weapon of mass destruction in about six months. Boy, that's pretty high interest level as well. Right, but Yukio Amano, the director of the International Atomic Energy Agency, his concern is a little bit different. He's concerned that the United States is raising tensions with Iran because we withdrew from the nuclear deal, which was a bad deal. He's, he is not worried, apparently, about Iran's nuclear weapons capability. He is worried about the United States doing something about it. That, I must say, that, that is really kind of the, the the wrong end of the telescope to look at national or international security. I love your wordsmithing there, Ken. The wrong end of the telescope. <laughs> that was great. Talk to me about, um, speaking of atomic weapons, Russia versus Israel. That was the title of an article I sent to you, the war that could become a nuclear disaster. Is that a viable possibility? Well, you know, this is something that we've talked about many times, Jimmy, and it is an ongoing threat. The Israelis and the Russians in Syria are nose-to-nose. Their air forces are shadowing each other in the skies, and uh, when the Israelis bomb an Iranian target, they're never 100% certain that there won't be some Russians nearby. And that's the type of incident that could lead to military escalation between Russia and Israel. So far, uh, both 
uh, powers have sought to avoid any direct military conflict, uh, military uh, escalation between them, confrontation. They're trying to not back off, but the the Israelis inform the Russians before they they fly airstrikes against the Iranians, and the Russians uh, protest those airstrikes but do nothing about them. But yes, there's always the risk that this could escalate through mistake, through error. The Israelis miss a target and hit the Russians, or the Russians drive into an area that they haven't told the Israelis they're going to be to assist the Iranians and get whacked when the bombs fall on what Israel believes is an Iranian target. I don't see the two of them going after one another purposefully at this point, but uh, the chance of escalation because of accident is very high. Well, at this point was a key phrase right there because Ezekiel 38 says they will go at each other ultimately, and they both are nuclear-powered right now. Hey, there is a report, Ken, that Islamic State has been reborn. They're forming a new caliphate, and it's going to extend all the way to India, and they're going into all the nations between where they were and India as well in the regions that really are great places for them to develop their Islamic State. Well, here's what they're doing. Now that they've lost the caliphate, the physical geographical caliphate in Iraq and Syria, they're spreading out. They're dispersing. They're going to ground, if you wish. But they're also finding new safe havens in areas that are difficult of access to the West, whether it's Afghanistan, whether it's certain parts of India, uh, Sri Lanka. We saw the attack against the hotels and the churches. ISIS is trying to reform itself, to recreate itself in a dispersed fashion. I think that they are going to have some success with this because we can't whack them in 50 countries at once. They will attack in one place, we'll try to go after them, and then they will resurface in another country 3,000 miles away. And I think that's the reality we're going to have to get used to in the next couple of years until we can turn the trick on them. And by turning the trick, I mean find some leverage that dismantles them utterly and makes their ideology so unattractive they have no more new recruits. We are a long ways away from that goal. And what a world it will be after that goal is accomplished. Let's talk about Turkey just for a moment. The United States had agreed to be able to sell to Turkey some F-35s. They were training the pilots. They're going to shut that down because Turkey has really turned towards Russia. They're going to get those S-400 missile systems uh, that have been promised to them. They'll get those in July. Tell me what about this. Well, here's the problem, Jimmy. The S-400s are Russian anti-aircraft missiles, anti-missile missiles designed to knock out planes like the F-35. And so the United States has said to the Turks, you can't have both. If you're going to get those Russian anti-aircraft missiles, you can't have our F-35 aircraft. The Turks said, we're already heavily invested in the F-35 program. Don't you dare not give them to us. So this is going to be a face-off. I think ultimately the U.S. will not give them the aircraft, but the Turks are going to whine and scream about it a lot. And the Turkish people and that country of Turkey, major players in the end-time scenario that is found in God's Word. Ken, you're on top of the story from southern France, buddy. We appreciate how you keep us informed. Thank you so very much. We'll have another conversation next week. Always a pleasure, Jimmy. God bless. We're going to take a break. When we come back, David Dolan's standing by. He's got a Middle East news update for us. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today.
Just how close are we to the rapture of the church? Do events taking place in the Middle East and around the world have prophetic significance? In his latest book, Sound the Trumpets, Jimmy DeYoung examines these questions and explains just how near the rapture of the church could possibly be. By comparing four trends from prophetic scripture to current events taking place in the world today, Jimmy shows that the stage is set, every actor is in place, and the curtain is about to go up on the end-time scenario set forth in the scriptures. Sound the Trumpets is a must-read for every serious student of Bible prophecy. To order your copy of Jimmy DeYoung's new book, Sound the Trumpets, for only $15, call us today at 8-PROPHECY-8. That's 877-674-3298. Or visit us on the World Wide Web at prophecytoday.com. Call today and make sure to get your copy of Sound the Trumpets. Have you always wanted to visit the land of Israel? Imagine what it would be like to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. With Joshua Travel, you can visit Israel past, present, and prophetic. The Bible will come alive as you see places like the shepherd's field where our Lord was born, Caesarea Philippi, Cana of Galilee, Capernaum, the Garden of Gethsemane, and the Garden Tomb. You'll even experience an exciting boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time to not just visit the sites, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and to our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place from where Jesus will rule and reign one day. Call Joshua Travel today at 423-821-3635 to find out more about this trip of a lifetime, or you can visit us online at joshuatravel.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. Jimmy DeYoung here at the location that we have chosen as our temporary studios. We're in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. We drove up from the Toma area of Wisconsin. And boy, what a meeting we had this last week there in Toma. It was great. By the way, please pray for the pastor. Ron Tobin had a heart attack a couple of weeks back. He's trying to recuperate. He wanted to go on with the Prophecy Conference. We were there Sunday through Wednesday, had a marvelous meeting. We praise the Lord for this pastor and his church and their hunger for understanding Bible prophecy. Well, in Sioux Falls, we'll be at the Grace Baptist Church all day Sunday. Not quite all day Sunday. Do you know what? They have a potluck dinner to celebrate fathers on Father's Day. We'll begin at 9.30 Sunday morning, have a combined Sunday school, 10.30 the regular service, 12 noon potluck. They think 12 noon. I don't know if I'll be finished. But, of course, when I smell that food, we'll close it up. And then 1 o'clock the afternoon service. Then on Monday at 7 p.m. for the regular service, And at uh, 6 o'clock, we'll have Prophecy Q&A. It's the Grace Baptist Church in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Love to have you come and study the prophetic Word of God with us. Well, as promised, David Dolan coming to the broadcast table. David covers the Middle East. He's done it for over 35 years. He knows every single thing that's happening in that part of the world, stays on top of it, and gives us great insight when we have a conversation with him. David, there was a very controversial statement made this week by the United States Ambassador to Israel, David Friedman, 
and he said that Israel can annex the West Bank, or Judea and Samaria. Now, the Israelis have moved to do that in the Golden Heights, and the president, Donald Trump, gave permission to do that. I understand that the ambassador may be speaking for the president, trying to put that out there, see what they think. What do you know about it? Well, we should point out that he did throw in a caveat. He said that the Jewish communities in Judea and Samaria would be likely to be annexed to Israel at some point. He didn't say he was advocating that. He said that that's just likely to happen. He did, though, say that the Palestinian areas would probably not be annexed by Israel, and certainly that would be probably the White House's position as well. But yes, a lot of speculation that this is due to personal discussions between two close friends, Donald Trump and David Friedman. They've been friends a long time, very close. And yes, it's to be reflective of what this peace plan may aim for. In other words, that Israel gets the Jewish parts, Judea and Samaria, by Jewish parts, of course. I mean, where Jews are living, there's half a million Israeli Jews living in various communities now today. There was only about 50,000 Uh, when I moved to Israel in 1980, so that's a huge increase over those years. Then, of course, there's another 180,000 in the eastern parts of Jerusalem that Israel has already annexed uh, some years ago in the early 80s to the state of Israel. So basically you have half a million, and those communities, he's saying, would would remain. And really, Jimmy, there's no uh, realistic peace plan that's going to involve another evacuation of Jews from their homes, like took place in the Gaza Strip. It was tremendously, you remember it, uh, distressing uh, days for the Israeli public all over the country. Uh, It was only 8,000 people that were removed from their homes. This would be hundreds of thousands. Uh, Whole cities would have to be uh, taken down or turned over to the Palestinians. This is just not going to happen. And so David Rubin is being realistic But yes, it may be part of what the president will uh, include in his peace plan. And now, of course, we're not going to know this month as originally scheduled because of the new round of elections coming up in the fall. So it will be October, November before a new government will be formed, assuming another one will be formed. We don't go to a third round. That would be unprecedented. And then we'll know exactly what's in it. But interesting comments indeed. And of course, very much blasted by uh, Palestinian leaders. The Iranian foreign minister made an interesting statement this week. He said that Prime Minister Netanyahu wants to destroy the nation of Iran. And then he said, but we will respond. Now, that's very biblical. Prophetically, it says that's going to happen. But, boy, it looks like it's coming to reality at this time in history. Well, Jimmy, we are so close to a major war in the Middle East. It's uh, unbelievable. Of course, everybody's heard about the two tankers that were attacked just outside of the Straits of Hormuz on Thursday. One, a Japanese tanker, while the Japanese Prime Minister Abe was there trying to mediate uh, between the U.S. and Iran. Jimmy, Israel doesn't want to destroy Iran. That's ridiculous. The Israeli uh, people, the Jewish people, realize this is the Persian people. They have been around as long as the Jews. You know, this is a major power in the region, and they have no desire to destroy the country. They just want Iran to stop harassing them. As I've stated so many times, Israel didn't invite Iran to set up the Hezbollah militia, which, by the way, the uh, northern commander this week warned that if there is a new war, that Lebanon will be pulverized. He said, you've adopted 
Hezbollah full full on. You, the government there, and that is true. Some Christian leaders, uh, Aoun and others, have sided with Hezbollah. And he said there'd be a major a disaster for Lebanon if there's any war, warning against that. But, Jimmy, it's it's definitely the case that Israel has to fight back. And the prime minister said this week that we are doing some not only response military action in Syria and Lebanon, but we're taking initiatives sometimes. But again, why? Because they're there building up their forces. Uh, Israel didn't invite Iran to come into Syria and to move down towards the Golan Heights. It didn't invite Hezbollah to cross the border from Lebanon and set up bases, but they're doing that. And we had some more action this week along the Golan border between both sides. We had a rocket, another rocket fired at an Israeli position, and Israeli planes were sent up when a drone came over from Syria afterwards. And, you know, a lot of action going on all the time. But this is a war imposed upon the Jewish state. Netanyahu will defend the Jewish state. He's made that clear. He's not going to preside over another Holocaust. It's Iran that leaders say all the time their aim is to wipe out, annihilate Israel entirely. So uh, it's the other way around. And that's the, the way the Iranians usually position things. They move it backwards. They, didn't, they weren't involved in these tanker attacks. Of course not. Someone's trying to provoke the region to war. Well, what about all the other stuff they've been doing? We know so much nefarious activity going on from them. So they're playing with fire. They could well get burned, and as you say, the biblical prophecies indicate they will. Absolutely, that is the case. Well, meanwhile, in the Gaza Strip, Hamas, a surrogate terrorist organization actually for Iran, are threatening to escalate border violence. This is going to keep Israel busy, especially into the entire summer. This is the time when they go to war most of the time. Well, and Jimmy, we, we had uh, several rockets land in Israel this week. Two were intercepted by Iron Dome, but two others did get through. And uh, we were told that the one that hit a Jewish seminary, yeshiva, in Starot, uh, right near the Gaza Strip, that all the guys were gone for the weekend. Well, the uh, chief rabbi there uh, on Friday morning said, no, 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 there was a group of men studying just a few feet from where the rocket landed. Now, it landed on the building and took off the face of it, but it didn't explode. Had it exploded, we would have had at least 10 Israelis killed, Jimmy. So it's a very serious incident. The Israelis have responded by attacking Hamas positions. They closed off, well, reimposed the naval blockade on the Gaza Strip that had just been totally lifted as part of this uh, unofficial peace deal that Egypt was brokering. But they just can't stand it. They have to go every few days and attack Israel. They also sent untold numbers of incendiary devices, and they've been upgrading those, Jimmy, so they actually contain bombs now. One exploded over an Israeli town during the week. They set all sorts of fires all over the place. They're ratcheting this up, and there was another 5,000 down on the border on Friday demonstrating against Israel in their weekly uh, protests, that sort of thing. So... You know, they're playing with fire as well, as you said, allied with Iran. And uh, all of these parties, Hezbollah too, are going to face the wrath of Israel if they uh, poke, poke, poke to the point where, you know, uh, there's uh, major casualties. And again, if we didn't have the Iron Dome system, we would have had hundreds killed by now. So it's just an act of God that we have it. But Israeli patience is definitely running out. You know, the Bible teaches in Bible prophecy that all Jews will return to the land of Israel. We get a report coming out of Europe that Jews are leaving due to the Islamic threat. This is one way God's going to get the Jews back to their homeland, is it not? 
It is, the Bible says, fishers and hunters, unfortunately the hunters that are now taking back over in many parts of Europe. But good news, Jimmy, Moldova, the tiny country, said it will move its embassy to Jerusalem. And that was great news for the Israelis this week. So a little positive uh, spin there at the end, uh, despite all the negative stuff going on. As we look at the political around the world, we can see it setting the stage for the prophetic to be fulfilled. And that's why we go to our different broadcast partners in certain regions of the world that are key for end-time prophecy. We go to the Middle East when David Dolan can give us all the insight. David, thank you so much, my good friend. We'll talk again real soon. I'm glad to do it, Jimmy. God bless. We're going to take a break. When we come back, I've got Sam Rohr. He is the president of the American Pastors Network. He was in Jerusalem for the Jerusalem Prayer Breakfast. Sam's going to give us a report on that. We'll be talking with him just in a moment right here on Prophecy Today. Have you ever wanted to visit Israel and trace the footsteps of Jesus? With Rick and Jim's VIP trips, you'll see Israel past, present, and prophetic. Our VIP trips are typically smaller groups of 8 to 12 people. This smaller group size allows us to spend more one-on-one time answering your questions and personalizing our tour. It is a very intimate experience. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time not to only visit the sites, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and to our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place from where Jesus will rule and reign one day. We can also customize our trip for your family or small group. Please call Joshua Travel today and see how we can make your trip extra special. Call 423-821-3635 or visit us online at joshuatravel.com. Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung, and welcome back to Prophecy Today. Here in Temporary Studios in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. We're way up here in the north. We'll be at the Grace Baptist Church in Sioux Falls. Come and join us at the Grace Baptist Church here in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Let me tell you, in the next couple of moments, we have some very important interviews you do not want to miss In a moment, I'll be talking with Sam Rohr. He is in Jerusalem, and he was attending the Jerusalem Prayer Breakfast. You've got to hear this report. It's a very moving report. And then I'll talk with Don DeYoung. What about that swarm of earthquakes there in Southern California? Could that be a preliminary to the big one? Well, we'll get to Don in just a moment, but I'm so excited to be able to have Sam Rohr with us now. Sam is the international president of America's Pastors Network, and we catch him not up north where he normally is in the Washington, D.C. area, but instead in my hometown, my old hometown of Jerusalem. That's where Sam is because he went there invited to be a part of an international prayer breakfast. Now, we're switching seats because normally he's interviewing me about Israel and Jerusalem, but I'm going to do that on the broadcast today. Sam, talk to me about the opportunity to be there. What was the international prayer breakfast? Who participated, and what did you actually do? Jimmy, it was actually the third 
annual Jerusalem Prayer Breakfast. That is the name of Jerusalem Prayer Breakfast. It is an event sanctioned by the Israeli Knesset. And they did that over three years ago. It is chaired by a member of parliament, Robert Ilatov, and vice chair of this breakfast is former Congresswoman Michelle Bachman. It's very interesting that both of these, one an Orthodox Jew, Michelle Bachman, a believer, obviously from the United States, both of them have great interest in Israel. The Knesset agreed to sanction and begin a what they call a Jerusalem prayer breakfast. The purpose of it is to try to convene and bring together Christians from around the world and Jews with the purpose of praying for the peace of Jerusalem and being involved in helping to facilitate the kinds of things that have happened here over the last couple of years with the embassy being moved to Jerusalem, that kind of thing, the U.S. embassy, those kinds of efforts to do those things. That's the purpose. This was the third year, and it was a momentous year. Well, of course, you are in Christian leadership in the United States. Were you the only Christian-type leader from the United States or other countries? And what about political leaders, any Christian political leaders that may have attended the Jerusalem prayer breakfast? Well, Jimmy, there were actually uh, 65 nations represented Not all of those nations had a former government official or a government official, but many of them did. I can think of several right off. Uganda, the Ministry of Finance from Uganda was there. The ambassador from Estonia, Guatemala, Brazil. There were a number of those countries that have already followed or about to follow the example of the United States, President Trump, in moving their embassy to Jerusalem, they were here, and they brought delegations with them. There was a delegation of about 50 from South Korea. Most of those were pastors, but there were some government officials as well. So they were mingled all throughout all of that. And I just happened to be able to be representing the the American Pastors Network, as as well as being in office before, contributed uh, to that, I believe. But it was a composite of a wide number of people from these various nations. Altogether, at this breakfast, about 700 uh, were in attendance, about 450 last year, and about uh, two or 300 the first year. So it has grown uh, remarkably. And, uh, Jimmy, I just have to say it was a most unusual event that was just uh, truly awe-inspiring as I saw people from around the world coming. Um, many, I would say most, were believers who have a heart for Israel and who are excited about what they see God doing here. I know, Sam, that you would have prayer at the prayer breakfast, but I wonder whether any of the Christian leaders like yourself or others from these different countries who were able to give a testimony for Jesus Christ and be a witness to the Jewish people, the Knesset members, for example. Jimmy, actually there were. There were many. I can think of one right now. As I mentioned, the minister from Estonia came to the mic and Uh, and talked about directly that he was here on a mission by our Lord Jesus Christ for the furthering of the gospel, and he talked about prophecy being uh, fulfilled. There was an individual, frankly, he was a farmer from South Africa that spoke, and he gave a clear, clear testimony to the gospel. And when he went down from the podium, there was a leading rabbi, orthodox rabbi, who was there, and the rabbi reached out to him, and and they hugged, and they hugged, and they hugged, and they hugged. It was an amazing thing 
uh, to behold. There were members of the Knesset, Jimmy, who were Orthodox Jews who, who came and they spoke and they said they have never been in a place where they have seen such a unusual mood or spirit. And, of course, what they were seeing was that it was, it was the Holy Spirit. And they couldn't describe it other than the fact that they had never seen anything like it before, and they, they knew that something was going on. So God, God was moving clearly. You know, Sam, God's timing is absolutely perfect. You're well aware of that. You're a preacher and teacher of the Word of God yourself. But I'm thinking it's amazing how that this prayer breakfast was taking place at the time when there was really a political situation, a very dramatic situation with Prime Minister Netanyahu not able to form a coalition government and have to go back to elections. God's perfect timing was at work, wasn't it? Well, it was, and that, that's a great story right there as well. You know, I know you've talked about it on the program as well as we, but the last election here, which happened about six weeks ago in Israel, required the prime minister to form a coalition. You know, had had 30 days to do it, but it didn't happen. So two weeks ago, actually tonight, almost to the hour, we're making, as we're talking right now, the, the coalition was not formed. The prime minister asked the president to dissolve the Knesset. That made the shortest session of Knesset. This was the 21st session. It made it the shortest session in the history of this new nation of Israel, 29 days. And the thing that was unique about it was that in this period of time, the only official action of this 21st Knesset was this holding of the prayer breakfast. It fell after the Knesset was dissolved, but it was the only action that was approved and done by that Knesset. So it goes down in history. This prayer breakfast goes down in history in the books here in Israel as the only official action. And that's what caused not just just the prime minister who was around, but the president and the members of parliament and those that came to look and say this was a unique act of God, more than symbolic, we believe, that God has permitted this to happen the first time in the history of Israel, and because there is no functioning government right now, uh, just a caretaker version led by the, by the prime minister, it has caused many here to say this, in fact, is a political crisis but we look and say, it's God's timing. And I have to say, Jimmy, that the leading prayer request coming out of this breakfast was that people go back to their various countries, 65 nations represented, but they would go back to their nations, talk to their churches, talk to their families, talk to government officials, and pray for, and this was the great thing, that God would raise up in these next few months, the next election being September 17, that God, in fact, would raise up God-fearing members of Parliament for such a time. I think that is just a remarkable, remarkable prayer request, and it was sanctioned and embraced by all who were there. 
Well, this is an amazing story, Sam. I'm so thrilled that you were able to be a part of it. And then I'm really excited about the fact we could catch you before you left Jerusalem to come back home and do this interview with you. One final question for you. As you mingled among those Knesset members, as the politicos were chatting with you, thanking you for being there to pray for them at this time of political crisis, do you see their hunger to have a really conservative right-wing type of government under Prime Minister Netanyahu coming about? Is he a viable possibility to be Prime Minister again? You know, Jimmy, I do not know about this Prime Minister. It's very apparent with those with whom I've talked that they greatly admire this Prime Minister. But the one thing I believe that was clear, which I think, well, who knows what will happen with uh, in in that regard, but I do believe that in their discussion was that they were talking. Many, all of them, from the speaker uh, of the Knesset on down, were speaking in terms of faith-led politics. And I thought that again, that was a significant thing. They are looking to God. They do know that God is at work. That what has happened here is a miracle. They understand that their best friends. The very best friends of Israel are Christian people, and they are understanding that Christian people, it's Christians around the world that are being pulled like a magnet towards Israel, and that it's Christians around the world that are talking to their government officials and leading their government officials to align with and recognize what God is doing in Israel. So those things, you put those all together, I am believing that God, in fact, is going to raise up a new profile of Knesset in the September 17th election. And I do believe, because of what God has done before in the previous breakfast, that he will, in fact, raise up, as we know he will, his choice of individuals in government. But I believe he's going to put into place God fearing, a majority of God-fearing members of the Knesset. I think all of this is preparatory for what God is doing and is about to be doing in these unfolding days here in the Middle East, here in Israel, here in Jerusalem. Well, that's a great report, a God-fearing Knesset and a God-fearing leadership for the state of Israel. And by the way, friends, First Timothy 2 says we should pray for those who are in higher authority, before the pastor, the missionary, the evangelist, pray for those in their authority, not only here in America, but of course in Israel as well. I want to thank you so much, Sam, for being able to be with us. I know you have an early flight in the morning. I better let you go so you can get ready for that, my good friend. All right, that's great. Thank you, Jimmy. Great opportunity to be able to talk to Sam Rohr, who is the president of the American Pastors Network. Well, there's a man who always gives us a great report. We can find out about what's going on in the European Union when we get a hold of John Rood. He lived in Brussels for a number of years. He knows that area and actually the headquarters for the European Union like the back of his hand. John, thank you so much for joining us. I know there's going to be a fight to see who takes over the commission 
and uh, the chairman of that organization, I understand that Francis Macron has backed Angela Merkel of Germany for the post. Is she going to resign and then take over that leadership there at the European Union? That the plan? This is a very good way to approach this. We have so much political juggling and positioning in the European Union. The top positions will be soon open. And so what you've mentioned, we have a statement from France's President Macron saying that he would support, he would back Merkel if she would be willing to take the top European Commission job. The thing about this is is that she's already come out and said that she doesn't want it. So therefore, we just revert back to the usual. It appears that this is Macron's humble way to say, well, you know, I offered the support to her. She doesn't want it, so I guess I need to step up. (laughs) It appears to be political. And as well, uh, Macron has sent an envoy to the European Parliament to represent his position in the European Parliament from his own party. There was a spat immediately, and now that person has ended up resigning. So I believe that Merkel will stay in Germany to uh, end her term in 2021, and yet we still have a vacuum, and there's always going to be play between France and Germany, who takes the top spots in the European Union Commission. Well, that type of thing always goes on in every political arena around the world, and in particular the European Union, as they are setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. The U.K. and Brexit, I mean, we've talked so much about it. It seems like the politicians in the U.K., John, are more interested in ousting Theresa May than they are solving the Brexit situation. Would you agree? There's a long-term motion that's been set here. It was the EU President Juncker that came out and said that the U.K. politicians have been more interested in getting Theresa May out of office than solving Brexit. There's some ways to interpret that. To solve Brexit, she would have to go. And yet, the European Commissioner President, Jean-Claude Juncker, saying that this is a wrong focus, but they have forced this on, on Britain. So they're not willing to negotiate the treaty. Even with a new British prime minister, they will not negotiate the treaty. So the EU sort of has England in a headlock, and here it is. They're kind of blaming Europe at the same time. So we still don't know. Yeah, we just don't know. It's a baby wick for sure. But however, it looks like Boris Johnson may be the one who selected to go to number 10 Downing Street and become the next prime minister. Is that pretty much on target? Right. Boris Johnson, he has made a landslide victory in the uh, conservative leadership. It's the conservative party that is responsible for picking the next prime minister. As we know, Prime Minister Theresa May has volunteered to step down. The first round of voting... Boris Johnson took more than a third of the vote. So he's almost assuredly in the top two. The second round of voting is next Tuesday. The other conservative leaders are already beginning to drop out. Why is he showing such interest? Well, one of the things is he's come on strong about the inconsistencies of the European Union's attitudes towards Brexit. And he has even said that he could withhold the payment sort of known as the divorce bill, which is in the billions and billions of British pounds. 
that he would withhold that payment in order to force the EU's hand to begin negotiation again. As we've said, part of the major deadlock is that the European Union has said they will not renegotiate the treaty. And so Boris Johnson, he appears to be the next British Prime Minister. This is going to set off a whole new era in the politics involved here, because now we're going to have a Prime Minister in the United Kingdom who's working for Brexit. You know, it's very interesting that uh, Boris Johnson, endorsed by Donald Trump, and he comes out of the mold of Donald Trump as well. Quite an interesting character. Some are saying even that they're not sure he's qualified to be the prime minister. We'll just wait and see. And John Rood will keep on top of this story and all the stories coming out of the European Union because this is a region of the world that's key. It's the foundation for the revived Roman Empire, Daniel chapter 7. And that is key for our understanding of how the end times will unfold. Thank you so much, John. Appreciate your on top of the story there in the European Union. You give us a great report. We'll talk again next week. Thank you. And uh, we will see everything happen just like the Bible says. Very interesting report and update on the European Union from John Rood. Well, our next broadcast partner is going to be a man who is a friend. He's a broadcast partner becoming pretty regular with us right here on Prophecy Today, but very knowledgeable. He's head of the science department at Grace College in Winona Lake, Indiana. He's an astronomer. I've got his book a question and answer book, basically, on astronomy. You probably should get that because it's a great hobby. I was out looking at the moon last night, Don. It was about a half moon where I am, and it was beautiful. How would someone, if they wanted to get your book on astronomy, how would they get a copy of it? Well, thank you, Jimmy. Yes, the book is titled Astronomy in the Bible. Well, it's available in many places. Probably the simplest would be Amazon. Well, we're going to go into the area of astronomy uh, to some extent. Uh, I gave you a report, sent it along to you, that we had posted on our website, prophecytoday.com. It was a report on an asteroid that may hit the Earth. Can you give us some more details about this possibility? Well, Jamie, of course, there are a number of uh, objects in space, lots of them right in our own solar system, circling the, the sun. Uh, asteroids are just um, large rocks, maybe mountain in size. And uh, every so often we hear reports of uh, a near miss or something that's coming. The bottom line is there's a lot of empty space. There's plenty of room for these smaller objects of the solar system. We do get peppered with small objects, even at the ground, meteorites, but something that would impact and destroy the Earth. Of course, that's not in God's plan, at least in our present age. And so uh, these things come and go. They're interesting. They show the incredible details of creation. But, uh, you know, we're not about to be uh, clobbered by some space object. But if it did happen, it could cause a lot of damage to the Earth, could it not? Well, certainly uh, these objects are moving very rapidly, faster than a, a bullet. And because of that, they have a lot of what's called kinetic energy. And that has to be dissipated as heat and light and just power and pressure and so uh, when they do hit, yeah, there's an explosion. For instance, in northern Arizona, there's what's called the Beringer Crater, where an object, probably about the size of a small building, hit the Earth. 
and uh, made a crater a mile uh, across and as large as a stadium. Fortunately, it hit in a good place out there in the high desert. So it does rarely happen that the Earth gets hit, usually in an out-of-the-way place. And Of course, most of those objects, in fact, would hit the water since our planet is three-quarters covered with water, and so then you just get a splash. Well, talk to me about these objects, if you will, just for a moment. Are they created objects, or how do they come together? You say some of them can be the size of a house or a tank or a car. How do they come together? Yes, well, these uh, objects are uh, usually metallic, a combination of uh, iron and nickel. Other ones just more look um, stony. There's a lot of speculation on how those could have formed in the early solar system. There's all the theories of a, a nebula theory of formation from, from gas and debris. But that all is a long time, spontaneous type thing, and, and the physics really does, is not behind it. I would say that uh, when God constructed the universe, including our own solar system, he just put great variety of objects. We have planets, we have moons, we have comets. And we also have these asteroids, these space rocks. Most of them are out there beyond Mars and Jupiter. There are hundreds of thousands of these objects circling the sun. And again, sometimes they wander semi-close to the Earth. It's interesting to speculate further why God would have uh, put those out there, especially the ones that are metallic, the iron and nickel. They're valuable when you have thousands of tons of metal. And I don't know if there was an original purpose that these things could even be um, mined and used for our own natural resources. But, of course, because of the limitations of the Earth and our own uh, inability to conquer space, they're just still out there. But there is a great wealth of resources in nearby space. Earlier on, Don, you said, not for this time in history. Howbeit, when we read in the book of Revelation, there are objects coming out of the heavens seemingly hitting the earth. Would that be an asteroid most likely? Well, it does talk about uh, objects um, striking the earth, Jimmy, and of course doing great damage. These well could be in store for that kind of event. And also when you look back in time, uh, the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah when sulfur and fire and brimstone fell from the, the sky, maybe some of those were tools used at that time. So certainly asteroids are not an accident. They're not just something that formed on their own. They're part of God's plan and purpose, whatever that might be. Don, I've got to ask you also one other question about another incident that has been taking place, a swarm of earthquakes there in Southern California. And there's talk out there that this may be a preliminary to the big one, a major earthquake across the western coast of the United States. What do we know? Uh, Yes, Jimmy, when there's an earthquake, when the very ground shakes and shudders, that certainly gets people's attention. And this latest result involves a swarm, which is just uh, many small earthquakes These are occurring off the south end of the San Andreas Fault in Southern California. They're not doing damage. They have a a, a low Richter scale number, but they're certainly enough to keep people's attention. This happens every so often. In this swarm, more than 700 small quakes have been measured the last month. Certainly, these are uh, just reminders of um, things to come. Of course, in the book of Revelation, again, in the end times, we, we hear about the, the greatest earthquakes of, of all time. 
So maybe these smaller ones are simply a reminder to us of uh, God's control and kind of a a wake-up call. These earthquakes will come and go through our current age. What's happening is there are cracks, there are fractures in the lower part of the Earth's solid crust, and there's some movement there, and tensions build up, and then they're released, kind of like a snapping of a rubber band, and then when that happens, everything on the top surface responds and feels that impact. Well, Don, I'm sure those people in Southern California are a bit concerned about that swarm of earthquakes that took place. You said about 700 of them. Boy, I'd, I'd be climbing the wall. Not literally, but indeed. Jimmy, there's something even more interesting involved with this. About 60 miles away from this swarm, there's what's called the Labray Tar Pits. Our listeners are probably familiar with that. And then along with the swarms, these tar pits are becoming more active, and fresh tar is oozing out of the ground. I don't know if there's a direct connection with the earthquakes, but it shows that this earth is active, and it's turbulent, and uh, God's controlling the whole show. Yes, you mentioned that when you talked about Revelation. Earthquakes at the time of the beginning of the seven-year tribulation period— And Revelation 16, starting there in verse 17, says the greatest earthquake to ever hit the face of the earth is going to destroy the location of the Antichrist at that time, and that would be Babylon on the shores of the Euphrates River about 58 miles today outside of Baghdad. Well, you can understand why Don is becoming a regular here on Prophecy Today. A lot of interesting issues to discuss with him, talking about asteroids and earthquakes today. Don, thank you for your knowledge. Thank you for your availability to be with us here and explain some of these phenomenon. Thank you, Jimmy, for the visit. That, my friend, was a very exciting interview with Dr. Don DeYoung, talking about asteroids and the swarm of earthquakes there in Southern California. We're going to have to take a break right now. I've got one more interview. I'm talking with my broadcast partner, David James, and we're going to find out why Franklin Graham stepped out against Mayor Pete there from South Bend, who's a candidate for president. We'll have that conversation in a moment right here on Prophecy Today. Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung, and welcome back to Prophecy Today. I ask you for 90 minutes. We need 30 more if you'll give it to me. We're here in temporary studios in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Like to have you respond to my poll question, if you will. Go to my website, prophecytoday.com, right there on the home page. If you'll scroll down the left hand column, you'll find the question. Here it is The United States ambassador to Israel, David Friedman, said this week that Israel should be allowed to annex the West Bank, or as it should be referred to, Judea and Samaria. The Bible, in Ezekiel chapter 36, also says that that piece of real estate will be part of the land that God has promised the Jewish people. Now, this question, do you believe that the Jews will get that piece of land because God said so? That's the poll question. 
Respond to it, if you will, after the broadcast. And keep listening because we have another conversation in just a moment with David James. I want to remind you, we'd love to take you with us on one of our trips, our many trips each year to the land of the Bible. On my website, go to Joshua Travel. There you can find out all the information you need, the dates, the itinerary, the cost, everything you need to know. That's Joshua Travel on my website, Prophecy Today. We now bring to this microphone David James. David and I have a weekly conversation here on Prophecy Today where we discuss an issue that is key to the body of Christ, to Christians that need to understand from a biblical perspective how to confront this issue. We hope and pray that it helps you in your walk with Jesus Christ on a daily basis. You know, our topic is not going to be one that's actually breaking news this week. But in light of the Democrat campaign against President Trump that is ramping up right now, I think it's important to discuss, and I want to discuss what Franklin Graham publicly said and did when he rebuked the South Bend mayor on Twitter a few weeks ago. Talk to us about what Franklin Graham had to say. Sure, I'd be happy to. Franklin Graham's tweet was specifically in response to uh, Mayor Buttigieg's statement at a CNN town hall in April in which he said the following, It can be challenging to be a person of faith who's also part of the LGBTQ community, and yet, to me, the core of faith is regard for one another. And then he went on to say this, and part of God's love is experience, according to my faith tradition, and it's in the way that we support one another, and in particular, support the least among us. And then he went on to say this, God does not have a political party. And to this, Franklin Graham responded in a tweet, Presidential candidate and South Bend Mayor Pete Buttigieg is right. God doesn't have a political party, but God does have commandments, laws, and standards he gives us to live by. God doesn't change. His word is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And then Graham went on to write this. Mayor Buttigieg says he's a gay Christian. As a Christian, I believe the Bible, which defines homosexuality as sin, something to be repentant of, not something to be flaunted, praised, or politicized. The Bible says marriage is between a man and a woman, not two men, not two women. Well, David, Mayor Pete, as he's often referred to, and it's not easy for me to say his last name. You're brilliant, David, the way you can pronounce it. But anyway, he, uh, Mayor Pete has made no attempt really to hide the fact that he's a practicing homosexual and has even flaunted it by making the cover of, for example, Time magazine with his so-called husband. That magazine cover that you were referring to was the May 13th issue of Time magazine, and it had the phrase First Family as the front cover title and had the subtitle, The Unlikely, Untested, and Unprecedented Campaign of Mayor Pete Buttigieg. Now, he was married, quote-unquote married, to Chaston Glesman two years ago in South Bend. Now, if elected, which I think is actually pretty unlikely, Buttigieg would be the first openly gay president of the United States. And he and his so-called husband have become a sort of celebrity couple and even appeared on the Ellen DeGeneres show that same month. And, of course, Ellen has long been openly lesbian. 
Now, Peter Buttigieg has been the mayor of South Bend uh, since uh, 2011 and was reelected in 2015. Uh, he's a Harvard graduate and was a Rhodes Scholar at Oxford. Now, Mayor Buttigieg claims to be a devout Christian and says that his faith is a strong influence in his life. Uh, he was actually baptized into the Roman Catholic Church as an infant, but gravitated toward the Anglican Church while he was at Oxford and is now a member of an Episcopal Church. And for our listeners who may not realize this, the Episcopal Church is essentially the Church of England outside of the United Kingdom. David, the mayor previously has challenged Vice President Mike Pence and apparently tried to take the moral high ground by arguing that God made him the way he is, meaning that God made him gay. How do you respond to that particular argument, since it's an argument that we very often hear made about this situation? Well, you're right. As part of what I would call the dust-up between Buttigieg and Mike Pence back in April, the Daily Beast carried an article with a headline, Pete Buttigieg tells Mike Pence, it was God who made me gay. And then the author of the article reported that the mayor had said the message that being gay is wrong puts people at war with both their feelings toward themselves and toward God. And that's a thing he said that I wish the Mike Pence's of the the world would understand that if you have a problem with who I am, your problem is not with me. Your quarrel, sir, is with my creator. And then Buttigieg went on to say this, it's hard to face the truth that there were times in my life when if you had shown me exactly what was inside me that made me gay, I would have cut it out with a knife. So my response to this whole issue, uh, in response to your question, Jimmy, is that it represents an unbiblical view of the problem of sin in our lives. People also murder, they lie, they cheat, they steal and commit adultery, but we can't lay the blame for sinful behavior at the feet of God. We're sinners by nature, and we're sinners by choice. So in other words, we sin because we're sinners, and then we also are sinners because we sin. You know, for my quiet time, David, I have been reading recently through the book of Romans. The Apostle Paul, he described his personal struggle with sin there in Romans chapter 7. And I, as I read it, it just fit my lifestyle as well and what's going on in my life and heart. But you know, David, the thing I noticed about the Apostle Paul, he did not make the excuse that he was not responsible simply because God had made him that way. Well, you're exactly right, Jimmy, and it's not a matter of God making us a particular way. It's a matter of us struggling with the sin nature that we inherit from our parents. And Paul said of his struggle with sin in Romans 7, I could paraphrase it this way, I do what I don't want to do, I don't do what I do want to do, and with my mind I serve God, but in my flesh I see something else at work who will deliver me from this body of death. And then, of course, that leads to Paul's well-known statement of relief in the next chapter in Romans 8, verse 1, where he says, There is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul described himself by saying, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm chief. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul said he wasn't even worthy to be called an apostle because he persecuted the church of God. So Paul never tried to portray himself as something other than what he was. He never hid behind the excuse 
excuse, uh, God made me this way. And, you know, we try to use this excuse all the time. For example, if someone struggles with anger, then they often say, that's just the way I am. But my response to this is, and I say this to myself as well, if just the way I am is not the just the way God wants me to be, then I need to change. And that's true for all of us. I would agree 100%. I love the Apostle Paul. He was such an example. He was a real person living a real life and having Christ as his Lord and Savior. I can remember reading about the Apostle Paul in the beginning of his 30-year ministry. He said, I'm the least of the apostles. About halfway through that 30 years, he said, I'm the least of the saints. And as you just quoted, David, at the end, he says, I'm the chief of all sinners. The closer we get to him and his word, we realize what we are and who we are. And it's our responsibility, not God making us that way. Well, David, would you agree that the broad acceptance of homosexuality as a legitimate alternate lifestyle is just a symptom of a much bigger problem that's setting the world up for God's judgment? I absolutely would, Jimmy, and we've talked about this many times before on this program. We, we've often discussed Romans chapter 1, for example, beginning at verse 18, which starts what I would describe as the death spiral of humanity. And in Romans chapter 1, verse 18, we read this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. In verse 22, Paul says, Professing to be wise, they became fools. In verse 24, God also gave them up to uncleanness and the lusts of their heart to dishonor their bodies among themselves. In verses 26 and 27, Paul writes, for this reason God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful. So I would say that the widespread acceptance of homosexual behavior is one sure biblical indicator that a nation and even the whole world is on the precipice of judgment and nearing its total destruction under the wrath of God. And I believe that uh, this judgment could begin very shortly if we're not already seeing the first indicators that it's already underway. David, I would agree with that, and I do believe that judgment is already underway, but it's absolute we are going to face that judgment as a nation. That's an editorial we, not necessarily every individual born-again Bible-believing Christian. Well, friends, if you're listening to this, I want to let you know that we're going to be returning to these kinds of issues in the coming weeks and months as we move deeper into the 2020 campaign season. I think that you and I would agree that we have a responsibility as Americans and as born-again Bible-believing Christians to be both informed and engaged in the process of selecting those who are going to govern us. Wouldn't you agree with that? I really would. You know, one of the things that I'm sure we both run into is the idea that many dispensationalists haven't actually been politically engaged, and some would argue that we shouldn't be politically engaged or engaged with a culture in general because our citizenship is in heaven and not of this world. And of course, that part is true. We've also heard that dispensationalists shouldn't necessarily be engaged because you don't, quote-unquote, polish the brass on a sinking ship. And there's some 
truth in that as well. But I would also say that we should consider some balance to this, and I would say that there are really some reasons for us to be involved in this process, perhaps more than anyone else. First, the Lord has allowed us to live in a country where we have the privilege of being directly involved with the governance of our country because the United States is a representative republic, and we're a part of that republic and involved with selecting our leaders. Secondly, while we we don't want to give into the thinking that we can somehow fundamentally change culture without first changing individual hearts through the gospel, we can elect people into office who share some of our values, and at least for the purpose of restraining evil, as we even talked about last week. And then thirdly, I would say, if we are to pray for our leaders so that we can live in peace as believers, as Paul told Timothy in First uh, Timothy chapter 2, then we can actively participate in the process of selecting who those leaders actually are. David, that was some great advice you've just given us. You that have been listening to this conversation today may want to go back and re-listen to what David had to say. Go to my website, prophecytoday.com. Go to PTRN. We'll archive this particular conversation with David James. Be good for you to listen to it and Pass it along to your friends. They need to hear it as well. Great research, David. Thank you so much for helping us speak to this particular issue. And as I said, we'll return to this particular issue in the future as well. Hey, we look forward to another conversation next week. Yeah, I look forward to it as well, Jimmy. Thanks for your prayers and for your encouragement as always. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, I'm going to open up the Bible. All the broadcast partners had something to say We'll see what God's Word has to say. And we'll take a look at the book right here on Prophecy Today. Hey everyone, this is Dave James with the Alliance for Biblical Integrity. You hear me each week discussing current theological issues with Jimmy DeYoung on the Prophecy Today weekend broadcast. We founded the Alliance for Biblical Integrity because we saw a need for an apologetics and discernment ministry that would be an important resource for local churches, schools, and ministry organizations that face ever-changing theological challenges in today's world. I teach many different courses and seminars in the United States and around the world and can tailor the seminars for Sunday schools, Bible studies, and church services, and the courses for weekend conferences of 6 to 10 hours. For more information, you can go to the ABI website at biblicalintegrity.org. That's one word, biblicalintegrity.org, and click on Courses and Seminars on the main menu. You can also contact me personally through the contact page on the ABI website. I look forward to hearing from you. Prophecy Today is heard all across the USA on the Prophecy Today radio network, but also it is heard around the world through our website at prophecytoday.com. And Jay, there are many other features on our prophecytoday.com website, like daily news updated out of the Middle East as it pertains to what's happening prophetically. Special reports can be heard right on our website at prophecytoday.com. We have Prophecy Q&A available for you. Questions asked in the past can be answered on the website if you just check it out and go to that particular spot. Prophecy Quiz is available, and parts of our Prophecy Today program, if you should miss any part of it, will be heard the next week right here at prophecytoday.com. And don't forget, you can even email your questions to us for our live radio broadcast. Just go to our website at prophecytoday.com. You'll be amazed, you'll be surprised at what you'll find on our website. Be sure to visit us at prophecytoday.com on the World Wide Web.
It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. We had some great reports from our broadcast partners today, and these reports from the locations where they were actually happening. These reports are a must for those of us who study the prophetic scenario that's found in the Bible. Do you know that's why we have these broadcast partners on the program? You can catch these reports each and every week live when we're on the air across the entire nation and around the world. Or if you miss any of the reports, you can go to our website, prophecytoday.com, then go to PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network. There we have the reports archived and you can listen to them. Please do me a favor, tell a friend or send them the link to these reports. Your friends need to understand the times in which we're living. These reports will help them to do that. By the way, that'll be a great way to introduce Jesus Christ to someone who may be lost. Again, go to the website, prophecytoday.com. Go to PTRN to find these reports. Well, this week, I want to think with you about a prophetic perspective on all the items reported by our broadcast partners. For example, Ken Timmerman in southern France, he reported on the rising tensions in the Persian Gulf and how the United States and Iran are getting closer and closer to a possible all-out war. Remember, Jesus Christ said that is one way you can tell that you're in the end times and getting close to the return to earth by the Messiah, Jesus Christ. In Matthew 24, he said you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars. That rumor has been going on now for several weeks and it's becoming more intense on a daily basis. Iran, by the way, is mentioned in Ezekiel chapter 38, verse 5, and Daniel chapter 11, verse 44. Iran will be one of the nations forming a coalition of Islamic states and led by Russia, who will go in and try to wipe Israel off the face of the earth. That coalition is coming into place even as I'm speaking. David Dolan gave us a Middle East news update, talked about the United States ambassador to Israel, David Freeman, who said that Israel has the right to annex Judea and Samaria, and then Israel could put their sovereignty over these areas referred to as the West Bank sometime. That's a terrible term. Don't use it. The Bible term, Judea and Samaria. In the book of Ezekiel, chapter 36 you can see that 35 times the Lord gives the prophet Ezekiel information about the land. What's so interesting to me is verse 22 of Ezekiel chapter 36. There the Lord says, I do this not for the Jewish people, but for my holy namesake. You see, the Lord promised he was going to give the Jewish people a piece of real estate, 10 times actually, what they have today. They only have 10% today. In the kingdom to come, they will have 100% of the land God has promised his chosen people. Sam Rohrer, who is the president of the American Pastors Network, 
was in Jerusalem. I had an opportunity to talk to Sam. Normally, he interviews me on his broadcast, Stand in the Gap Today. But this time, I had Sam with us on our broadcast, and the reason was Sam was attending the Jerusalem Prayer Breakfast. He was one representative of one nation of 65 nations with representatives at the prayer breakfast. It was a prayer breakfast that basically is put on by the members of the Israeli Knesset. The co-chairman of that prayer breakfast was Michelle Bachman, a former House member of the United States House of Representatives. And what a great opportunity, what a time in history. Sam talked about Psalm 122, verse 6. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. My dear friend, ultimately, there's not going to be peace today. The only time there will be peace in Jerusalem is when the Messiah comes. But we can pray that the Messiah will come. And by the way, pray for the leadership of Israel as well. 1 Timothy chapter 2 says to pray for those in higher authority. John Rood gave us an update on the political activities in the European Union. He related to us that the European Union is going to be an infrastructure for the revived Roman Empire, and God is setting that in place according to his plan in Daniel chapter 7. Don DeYoung, a scientist and a born-again Christian, came to talk to us about the reports of asteroids that may hit the earth and a swarm of earthquakes in Southern California. The book of Revelation chapter 8 talks about the tribulation period when there will be items coming out of space to help bring the earth under submission. And of course, earthquakes. Jesus said there will be earthquakes in diverse places and they will become more and more frequent as the time approaches for his return. That's Matthew 24. Revelation chapter 6 talks about earthquakes, and the greatest earthquake to ever hit the earth will be at the end of the tribulation period. That's Revelation chapter 16. And David James, we were talking together as we look at an issue important to the body of Christ about a homosexual mayor who's running for president saying that God made him a gay person. Well, that's not right. According to the Word of God, read the book of Romans chapter 1 and understand that in light of that, God did not make any of us homosexuals. The Lord hates the sin, loves the sinner. But Psalm 139 says we were perfect in his mind as he made us not people of sin. This is a chosen lifestyle, not one that is created by God. And that's my prophetic perspective on the news items we discussed today on the broadcast with my broadcast partners. Very interesting things happening around the world, each and every one of them, evidence of the next event that is going to happen, and that's the rapture of the church. That's when Jesus will shout, the archangel will shout, the trump of God will sound, and you and I, who know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, will leave this earth to go into the heavens to be with him. That is a blessed hope that we have. And having given you this information, there's actually nothing else I could say, except let's keep looking up until... Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today.